Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. This is our new weekly college football and NFL draft preview show. Might be weird to be having a draft preview show in November, but welcome to the 2018 Giants season, where that's going to be what we're focusing on for a bunch of the time. So I am Dan Pizzuta. I am joined by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. A little sleepy. I haven't quite adjusted to the time change, but pretty good. Hopefully we can push through this. So what we're going to be doing on this show, we'll just introduce it for a little bit because this is our first show in this format. We're going to be talking about some college football prospects. We'll talk about what the Giants are looking like going into the draft, what their draft prospects are. Uh, We're going to preview some players. For that, it's probably going to be, at the start, just a brief overview of some of the positions that we'll be looking at going into the draft. So today we're going to focus on the offensive line, which is something the Giants are going to be looking into one way or the other. At the end, we're going to talk about some games that maybe you should focus on, whether they're just good college football games that you would enjoy watching, or they'll have some prospects that maybe you want to look a little closer into hopefully at some point we'll have some guests who will be able to break some stuff down if you guys listen to our other show with mark schofield last week hopefully we can do stuff like that more often but for now uh, it's just going to be the two of us breaking down what we can maybe look forward to as we head into the offseason and the draft season and as the college football season plays out its second half So right now, we'll just give you a quick, brief look at where the Giants are as we look forward to the draft. Giants are 1-7. That's tied for the worst record in the league. Right now, they have the number one overall pick, but that might not last. As we look at it, Football Outsiders has odds of the top pick, and the Giants only have a 12.8% chance of getting the top pick, and that is just the fifth highest. A lot of that is due to the schedule. The Giants have a much easier schedule in the second half than they did in the first half, so maybe they might luck into some wins, and Oakland right now has who also is 1-7, has the top odds for the top pick, and they are just, they're actively bad. They are trying to be bad. The Giants, some of us might have known they could have been bad, but the Giants are bad on accident. Oakland actively trying to be bad, uh, so they have the top odds for the top pick. The Giants still 57.2% chance of a top five pick, so these guys are going to be drafting pretty early this year like they did last year. Yeah, so... 
Good news, we won't have to stay up too late on Thursday and Friday, especially Friday since the Giants have already spent their third round pick. So that's already in the books. And at least we have also seen that Dave Gettleman can have a good draft when he's picking at the top of the order. We'll see where the Giants are very quickly on that night. So for this show, our main topics of these shows are just going to be breaking down some players, not really in depth yet. We're just going to give you some guys, give the positions, and just kind of give you names you should know and and some brief facts about them. We, we want to talk about them a little bit, but we're not going to really be giving full scouting reports. We have plenty of time to get through that. But for today's first episode, we're going to look at the offensive line. It's a position the Giants are going to need. They are, for the moment, set at left tackle financially set at left tackle maybe not by we'll say they're play. locked in at left tackle yeah locked locked in is probably a little better than set i would say they are set at left guard with will hernandez who was drafted in the second round last season there's definitely a question at center right guard we'll see they just claimed jamon brown who might start against san francisco on monday night so we'll see that. And right tackle definitely is going to be something that needs to be addressed. They went into the season with Eric Flowers, who was bad. They switched to Chad Wheeler, who has been worse. So right tackle is definitely going to be a point of emphasis during this offseason, whether it's through free agency again or through the draft. And luckily, I think when we look at this draft class, tackle is a little better than the interior at least at first glance yeah and that's usually how it works occasionally you'll get somebody like quentin nelson who you just know is he's going to be good but generally the offensive tackles kind of show out a little bit more before you start start to really get into your uh, offensive line study just nature of the position it's easier to see them just watching games during the season there's less trash, less bad camera angles. So we're going to get started on the outside, especially considering the Giants' uh, needs there. Let's get started there on the outside. And I think for for the most part, I think maybe there's a place or two where you can look where, where it might be different. But it does appear that overall, the top offensive lineman prospect heading into this draft right now in college football is Alabama left tackle Jonah Williams. Yeah, definitely. He isn't exactly a prototypical left tackle build. He's a little bit undersized. He's listed at 6'5", and about 301 is what I usually see for him. Watching him on tape, I'm not sure how long his arms are. Might get some teams or some draft analysts suggesting he might wind up getting bumped into left guard or maybe even center. So in that way, he kind of reminds me of Justin Pugh just a little bit. But I believe he absolutely can play left tackle in the NFL. He's balanced. He's got really good feet. He moves very smoothly. He never appears to be in a rush to get anywhere, but he always gets there on time. And his hands are... Good. They're solid. He uses them. He doesn't try to catch defenders. He shoots them out, gives a good solid jolt, creates space for himself. And a increasingly rare feather in, in an offensive lineman's cap, he's 
coached in a pro style offense, so he's used to playing with his hand in the dirt or rubber pellets, as the case may be, and playing in a offense that and blocking scheme that will be like what he sees in the NFL. So he's going to be not just OT one, but OL one in April. Yeah, I think right now, if what you're looking at is if some people will worry about his length. And as we talk about this, I think a lot of things that we talk about are going to be much clearer once those off-season all-star games come around the combine where we get measurements uh, on these guys. And, and those are going to be important. So you can maybe worry about his length, but when you look at what he can do on the field, he moves pretty well. And I mean, that's that's big. I, I think to me that athleticism is a little more important than, than the length, at least when, when I'm looking at what we can look for, especially tackles. I, I don't think the length is, is as big of an issue if you can move and, and work your way around guys off the edge. Uh, and I think right now that's that's where Williams is. The, the next couple guys are, I, I think there's a good crop of, of right tackles here. And I think probably maybe you can you can go back and forth between who you prefer but between I think the next two guys just in offensive tackles are Dalton Risner of Kansas State and David Edwards at Wisconsin. Yeah, pretty much. I mentioned this before, there is just a zombie narrative just all over the place that left tackle is more valuable than right tackle. It is not. Yeah, not true. It is it is not easier. It doesn't require any less ability in pass protection. There are damn good edge rushers on both sides of the defense, and there have been for years now. If your right tackle has to block J.J. Watt or Khalil Mack or Von Miller, do you really want him to be worse than your left tackle? No. But there is that perception and a narrative. So guys who are considered right tackle only or natural right tackles, they tend to slip. So like David Edwards, he's probably my second offensive tackle right now. He's the right tackle for Wisconsin. And just future reference, I've mentioned this on my on my college football uh, preview posts over on Big Blue View. Just watch the Wisconsin offensive line, especially at the center right. They're all going to be NFL players. Edwards is a former tight end, and he looks like it. He's listed at 6'6", 6'7", and roughly 315. He carries it really well, and he moves well on the hoof. His stance can narrow a little bit, but he's also a strong guy, and he can pull that off. It's fixable, and he's got quick feet. Like Jonah Williams, he's used to playing in a pro-style offense, hand on the ground, going forward in the run game. He can play in a man-gap run scheme, a zone run scheme. He's solid in pass protection. He works well with the guard next to him, hip-to-hip, shoulder-to-shoulder in double teams. Like Williams, uses his hands to make space for himself so he doesn't get caught up on twists and stunts. And in fact, going back a couple weeks to my first mock draft, which will be my last mock draft until after the underclassmen declare, because it's just pointless. I had him going to the Giants in the second round. He just 
he fits a need and should be a solid value in, in the second round. Yeah, so one thing you you mentioned but kind of gloss over is that he is a converted tight end. So he came to yes. Wisconsin as a tight end and was 240 pounds when he came on campus <laughs> as a freshman. So then he bulked up to now I believe he's listed at 319. But he still moves like he was a tight end. So if you're looking for that athletic guy who can get out into space and and move down the field when you want to, I think when when you look at guys who are really good at tackle and you see some of these offensive line guys on Twitter who are who are sharing clips of guys like Trent Williams who on screens and things are like more down the field than the running back is. I think Edwards has the potential to be that type of guy. Someone who had that athleticism as a tight end has put on that weight, but can still use it. And and that's going to be a real big asset, depending on what type of scheme he's used in the NFL. Yeah, he's added about roughly 70 pounds, but he's definitely still an athlete. His stomach doesn't hang over his waistband. You can just tell he's a guy who can move. He can get himself in position. Even if he's beaten, he can still recover and kind of usher edge rushers around the pocket rather than just kind of flail as they run past him. He's a different kind of right tackle than the other right tackle who's going to be high on most lists, which is Kansas State's Dalton Risner, who is basically built out of kegs is the only way I can describe him. He's got a torso like an oak barrel. He His calves are almost as thick as his thighs, and he doesn't have thin thighs. He is just a stout dude, and he's got that mean streak you kind of expect from an offensive lineman. He will latch on to defender and either ride them to the ground or block them through the echo of the whistle. If he gets his hands on a linebacker or a defensive back, he'll block them 10 yards past the play. That's fun to watch. Solid pass protector. He is really good at just weighing anchor, latching on, and not giving an inch. Also a solid run blocker, as you could kind of expect from a Kansas State offense. The one problem I do have with him is that his kick slide could use work. Overly choppy and a little narrow, which can be fixed but that could also make him a little vulnerable to speed or power around the edge at the nfl level but otherwise he is he looks like a good prospect when you bring up his his pass blocking which has been good and he plays in in the k-state offense uh, which you know is is a little different than than what you would expect it you know, Wisconsin, but he, he's a good pass blocker. And at least for me, I, I think pass blocking is a lot more important. And it's something I am putting an emphasis on more than run blocking when I look at these offensive line prospects. When you think about the NFL, the average run pass ratio, when you think balanced offense, it's not 50-50. It's the balance is more around 60-40 pass than it is 50-50. And, and those are the most balanced teams. That is the, like the league average. Uh, so there's going to be teams that are way above that. The Giants right now, way above that. So these guys are going to be pass protecting way more than they run block. So 
when you are are going to be looking at these guys and maybe you're you're reading about what their skills are and if he's a good run blocker and and not as good in pass protection and that doesn't always work out because these guys are going to be pass blocking way more than they run block. So if there's a guy who is a good pass protector but isn't as good run blocking, that does not concern me as much because I, I think with run blocking, I think you're you're able to teach a guy to use his body to go forward more in run blocking than maybe you can teaching him how to how to pass block effectively. Uh, so I, I'm going to prefer guys who are better pass blockers when you break that down. Yeah, and you also just don't want a guy who's going to give up quick pressure to throw off the timing of your offense or get your quarterback hurt. Yeah. So when we talk about, I think, one more guy on tackle who, who does play in that type of spread that focuses on, on pass blocking and, and has some quick throws is West Virginia left tackle Yadni Kajus. Yeah, he's he's going to be an interesting study going forward because there's always the question with players, quarterbacks and linemen especially, coming out of offenses like West Virginia where they never huddle. He's never in a three-point stance. There's a lot of wide receiver bubble screens. And it's smart NFL teams are starting to pick up on the spread option and air raid systems and incorporate them into their offenses like Kansas City and the Rams. But it's still only kind of tangentially related to most NFL offenses. So there is going to be a learning curve there. However, Kajus, he's a fun lineman to watch. He's got really quick feet and a really easy mover. You hear people talk about typewriter feet, and he's he's got them. He's got typewriter or sewing machine. He's got very quick feet for a pretty good-sized tackle and definitely a good pass protector. He mirrors well if you're if you enjoy watching the combine on the offensive line day, they always have the rabbit drill where you have one lineman running back and forth really fast and then another one who has to mirror him. Well, this is that's something that Kajus does just naturally. He is also another guy who's good at using his hands to create space for himself and keep defenders out of his chest so he doesn't give up leverage that often. He's probably going to be, as far as the run game goes, more of a zone-blocking scheme guy. His lower body, and maybe it's just the West Virginia uniforms, but his lower body looks a little bit thin to me, so I'm not sure he would have the power for a man-gap scheme. That's definitely something we should keep in mind as we go through these prospects, too. There are going to be some schemes for all of these players— where these guys fit better than others. Some of that is due to the players. Some of that is due to inflexibility of some coaches at the NFL <laughs> level. Who will no, not, surely not. Yeah, who will not take what a player can do and and mold his system to to that player. They will try to fit the player into the system. So that's definitely something you need to watch. But could you? St- we I think we've seen some of these spread offensive linemen have have been able to to make the transition see like an athletic guy like you know Colton Miller has struggled but I think there were there were some other issues there other than just you know he he wasn't playing in in a full a pro style offense right Lane Johnson 
on the other hand, has become a very good, an annoyingly good offensive tackle. And he was basically just an undersized athlete who really looked more like a tight end at the college level. Yeah. When you're looking at this, maybe you can, we can project what systems these guys might fit better into. But just because they played in a certain system uh, in college does not disqualify them from being able to to translate. I think it's it's definitely a case by cases when we look at that. Oh, so definitely, you have to you have to scout the skill set, not the helmet. All right, exactly. So I think we're good with those are the top guys on the outside. I think we can look at some of the top guys on the interior now. And you kind of mentioned them as we were talking about Edwards, but there's the two guys next to him on the Wisconsin offensive line. It's center Taylor Biotish and Bo Benshaw. And they are not spelled as they are pronounced. Yeah, I'm I've very heard, excited. I was... I'm giving myself a first round grade for pronouncing those on the first try. <laughs> yeah, personally, I was disappointed when I looked up how to pronounce Yadish's last name because it's spelled like it should be pronounced badass, and I was really hoping that was true because he is a pretty badass center. Wisconsin center, he's what you would expect from a Wisconsin center. He's... 6'4", 6'5", about 320. He is quick off the snap, quick to snap the ball and then get up into his pass sets or drive forward when run blocking. He can get up to the second level off of a double team. He does just about everything you need a center to do, and he does it well. And as you would expect from a 320-pound center, he is a powerful guy. He can stand up to nose tackles interior linemen he creates room and movement with his punch he can get his hips down and and drive in the run game he can move laterally to pass protect pick up stunts and twists and like edwards pro style offense guy there isn't going to be quite that same learning curve going up to the nfl yeah, and one thing about him, he's still fairly young. He's only a redshirt sophomore, but that gives him enough years out of high school to be eligible for the draft, but it also still gives him two years of eligibility in college if he wants to stay. So he'll be someone we should watch, but but if you think if, if you're center like that and you're getting buzz where you, where you might be an early pick and definitely the top center right now, possibly the top interior lineman. So we'll see whether he's someone who's going to come out or not. But yeah, he's definitely a real impressive dude. And at, at 322, he's bigger than all of the offensive linemen we've talked about so far, when that includes all of those other tackles. I think the one that comes close is David Edwards, who's like 6'7", 319, but he has, you know, four inches on him. So yeah. Biotish is, is a big dude. And when you you can be that big, but but still move at center, that's, that's a good combination. Yeah, that's basically what pretty much everyone is looking for. Generally want your center to be able to move more than be able to stand up a nose tackle on his own because there's going to be a double team built into just about every blocking scheme unless your hand is forced by the defense with some kind of funky blitz. So you can usually have an undersized center work alongside with one of his guards 
to more or less cancel out any size concerns if he's more like 300 pounds or even 290. But when you get a guy who's 320, 325, who can also move, that's that's what you want. If you're trying to create the, the type of offensive lineman, especially on the interior, that an NFL scout or front office is going to be looking for, that's probably a big dude who can move and I mean, that's, that's what you can ask for let's let's move to the other wisconsin offensive lineman give us a quick rundown of bo benshaw yeah i haven't spent quite as much time lately looking at uh guards just because of the potential that jamon brown represents and will hernandez already looks like a keeper so Right, yeah, of the offensive they, line positions, guard might be potentially how Brown plays for the rest of the season. The Giants might be set with two young guards, uh, which would be a surprise um, yeah. for how this season started. Definitely Hernandez set there, and, and Jamon Brown, who has played well, uh, if you listen to our podcast earlier in the week, uh, talked about he played the most snaps on the Rams' offensive line last season and had the fewest blown blocks. So we'll see how that goes. He, he might get in on Monday against the San Francisco 49ers, and, and he's definitely going to play throughout the second half of the season. So yeah, uh, when we do talk about these offensive line prospects, guard might be a little lower on the priority list. Yeah, so we'll just kind of skim over the next two guys because they're both right guards. First is Bo Benshaw, Wisconsin. I've heard whispers that the Giants are interested in, interested in him, but that was before uh, Jamon Brown became available and they got him. Powerful dude. You know, again, Wisconsin lineman. Well-coached in a pro-style offense. Big, strong He's thick. He can move well for a thick guard, but only within a small area. He doesn't have really quick feet, so he's not a guy you want out lead blocking on a screen pass or you know, running all the way across the field on an outside zone. But within his area where his foot speed isn't a huge detriment. He actually moves surprisingly well. And then moving on one more is Chris Lindstrom, right guard for Boston College. He is a little bit more interesting than Ben Shaw because he has played both guard and tackle. He'll probably be a guard at the next level, but having that versatility is handy. And it also suggests a little bit more athleticism on his part. Pretty much like you'd expect, Technically sound, good pad level, good hand usage. He's a strong guard, and he puts it to use with good technique. He's not like Eric Flowers, where you know he's country strong, but it's wasted because he never has leverage or is out of position. He's where he's supposed to be. He's able to drop his hips, play with a good pad level, and actually put that strength to use. And he's also pretty good at understanding angles and leverage to seal defender. So if he gets half man leverage, that is he's only playing against one side of a defender. He gets that leverage moves them and then pivots to seal them out of the play. So he's a good solid all around guard that the giants might not be interested in. Yeah. And being in that Boston college offense, it definitely has a lot of work with the ground game. I am still a bitter temple alum who watched this <laughs> Steve Adazio temple offense that 
through the ball maybe six times a game. Oh, so that was not fun at all. So yeah, he, he definitely has some some work in the run game and, and he'll uh, he'll know how to do that. But yeah, it's definitely good to, as bad as the Giants offensive line is, to kind of look at these guard prospects and be like, you know, maybe they're not that important. So that's our brief overview of where kind of the top names at each offensive line position uh, sit right now. I mean, we're still in early November, so some of this could change. Uh, whether a lot of it could change. Yeah, probably a lot of it is going to change. Uh, whether there's guys rising up or, or falling and the guys who declare and don't. So w- there's still a lot of time for all of this to become even semi-clear. But for now, we just want to give you some names to, to watch if you're going to be doing that and you're sitting around on Saturdays and, and wondering who might be playing on Sundays, who maybe could be a giant next year. Uh, we just want to give you some of those names. So for now, I think we're going to end each show with giving a couple game recommendations, just full games of maybe something there's reason we want to keep an eye on them or just because they're going to be a good college game. So we're going to give a couple recommendations for games to pay attention to this weekend. So uh, where, where are your recommendations this week, Chris? Start off with the obvious ones. There's Wisconsin at Penn State. That's on Saturday at noon on ABC. You've got the Wisconsin offensive line. Just watch them all. Yeah, we we just spent all just, this time talking about all of them. So even, yeah, and go I just, ahead and watch I, Wisconsin on Saturday. In fact, you can also pay attention to the left side, but I just haven't because the Giants are pretty well set there. And then also Mississippi State at Alabama. You can watch Alabama win another game because they're not going to lose. I'm I'm just comfortable saying that. Probably the worst thing that ever happened to college football was Nick's Saban getting a legitimate quarterback. <laughs> but again, you could it would give you a good chance to watch Jonah Williams. Also, uh, Alabama has a guard that's pretty interesting in Ross Piersbacher. He could have come out last year. He would have been one of the better guards in that draft class. So he's also worth watching. And then there's also the rest of the Alabama team. They have NFL players at pretty much every position. And then probably my one fun game I want to watch is Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. I believe I have that order correct. I do. Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. The Bedlam game. That is just always a fun game. You know, it is always a track meet because neither of these teams really play defense at all. And Oklahoma continues to be fun even without Baker Mayfield. They've got great running back. Uh, Hollywood Brown is a f- he's a little receiver, but he is dangerously fast and fun to watch. Kind of like a Tariq Hill, although I'm not quite sure he quite he has hill speed. But if he gets the ball with a little bit of green in front of him, he's gone. So that's always fun to watch. And oh, Oklahoma also has the best quarterback who will be playing baseball since um, Tim Tebow. <laughs> oh, okay. Which I have to say is an intelligent decision on Kyler, on Kyler Murphy's part. Yeah. Because given the choice, I would rather play baseball just for my own health. Also, I'm not nearly big enough to play professional football. The health, the guaranteed money. <laughs> money, uh, That's yes. going to come with it uh, once he gets past His arbitration and, and into that, yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot more. I mean, look at Jeff Samarja, the the amount of money he has made pitching in baseball uh, compared to or, the amount he would have made as a wide receiver. So my recommendations are, are probably going to be the weird ones every week. I mean, I, I went to a school that plays in the AAC, so I'm going to be drawn to some mid-tier college football games. Like, I'm going to be fascinated by UCF and Navy this week. I'm not going to recommend you sit and watch that, but I'm going to say I probably will. One Saturday noon game I am going to be very interested in is TCU and West Virginia. If you heard us talk to Mark Schofield in one of the the previous episodes of this podcast. My evaluation process on quarterbacks going into the draft is I like to try to watch them against the best defenses they're going to be playing. And this is going to be Will Greer against a, a TCU defense. And a lot of the times Big 12 defenses kind of get written off, but that is not the case for TCU. Uh, TCU is 20th in pass defense by S&P Plus, uh, which is basically the college... Uh, advanced efficiency so it's it's basically dvoa for college so that's going to be will greer against a very good pass defense and if you guys are around on friday night friday at 10 15 eastern on espn2 number 23 fresno state against boise state this is again uh quarterback uh, brett rippon uh, against a really good pass defense fresno state is seventh in pass defense by S&P Plus. So that's another quarterback prospect to watch against a really good pass defense. Uh, So that is what I am going to be watching this week. Um, Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because I never get a chance to talk about the Friday games in my preview post because, well, they go up on Saturday. And there's usually at least one good Friday game a week. Syracuse-Louisville could be pretty fun tomorrow night as well if you want something to watch while you're waiting for the fresno state boise state game yeah that game starts at seven o'clock there's there's been some good football on non-saturday night so it's something to do if, if you're around or just even buy a tv um so we are going to end this show there you can find and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, all those places. So we'll be coming back with this show weekly. Chris and I will be back on Tuesday after the Monday night game. Maybe Ed will have a show on Monday right before. Uh, I'm not sure, but all of these shows are going to be coming up in the same feed. So whenever they pop up, you will get them if you are subscribed. Please rate and review if you have not. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Vergecast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.